Would you pray with me? Lord, may my words be your words. Would you speak through your word to us, your servants, that we would see this season as an opportunity to get perspective on who we are, on whose we are, and why we are. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Things are different. I'm, I'm going to have to lower this because it's going to, I can't see half of you. Sorry, people at home. There we go. <laughs> I feel like the, this half of the room was being blocked off. Things are different. We're dressed different. Uh, we, we, we have some, some restrictions that are being given in tonight's scriptures. We're being asked to sort of dial back. And it's not a, it's not a game. It's not a pretense. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to, to have a different perspective than what we have. Once I knew of a young seminary graduate who just arrived in his diocese only to uh, gather with a dozen other new clergy being indoctrinated into their diocese, and the bishop very sternly looks around the room, then looks down at this young postgraduate and looks at his khaki pants and says, my clergy wear black. Yes, I was that seminary student. <laughs> I had a blue clergy shirt on and khaki pants and an obnoxious belt buckle. And to me, it was how I rolled. I want to be familiar with my people. I want to speak to them like you're right here in my living room. But at that moment, my bishop was asking me to set myself aside and rise above my expectations, my desires, my wants. And yet I wasn't satisfied. <laughs> and I said, Bishop, would you, I, I, I apologize for offending you. Would, you. would you please tell me why? Why is it that you want me to be wearing black and black and black and white? And Why is it that, you know, during these seasons of penitence, we're wearing black? And he went into this long, uh, protracted description of haberdashery, another fancy word for clothing. He asked, actually used the word haberdashery, so I had to put it in there. And went on to say the gist of it was that we as clergy, we as the people who lead, who are the vicars of Christ for community, lead with a sense that we take on, like Christ did, the sin of the world. We identify with the brokenness, with the, with the mess. That's true. But then I couldn't let it go. <laughs> and I said to the bishop, that's well and good, bishop, but I've got enough sin to deal with myself. I don't need to deal with the rest of the world. Lent is a time where we identify with something else. We, we rise above our wants and our desires 
and set them aside and even fast from things that we normally would participate in so that we could identify a little bit more closely, maybe not live into, but recognize that we have a nature that is sinful. We have a, a, a penchant for doing what we want, when we want, how we want, where we want. As I read and hear the scriptures today, they're scary scriptures. Because we start off with Joel, and it's, it's a warning to the people of God at the time. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm from my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Now, if you heard a horn blow, which was perfect timing, by the way. I don't know whose phone was going off, but that was perfect. Perfect, perfect. I mean, I mean, that was what we were hearing from the scriptures, was blow a horn in, in Zion. Get our attention. Wake us up from our slumber. It's so easy. I was walking around asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do in this season? How do I wear black in a different way inside of me? To sort of dull down the broken sense of self-indulgence. How is it that you want me to change this Lent? I didn't get any breaking clouds. There, were no, there was no sunshine. Well, it is Ohio in February. What I got was, open your eyes. Open your eyes. I thought to myself, open my eyes? What is it, Lord, that you want me to open my eyes to? And all of a sudden, I became very grateful for the light switch that was on the wall, for the flame that came from the fireplace that I warmed myself by, for the heat on the top of my stove that cooks every meal that I didn't even think about until for some reason it breaks or the dishwasher that washes my dishes and all of the conveniences that we have, we have an abundance and, and the only time that I'm not aware of that abundance is when I get out of myself and I go on a mission trip to a second or third world country and realize we are filthy rich. Filthy rich. You may not feel fit, filthy rich. Your bills probably tell you a different story. But the reality is, once we get perspective, we step back out of what we're used to, the noise of our regular day and pace. God is saying to us, wake up! Wake up! Open your eyes. Open your eyes and see. Because the day of darkness and gloom, the day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spreads over the mountains, a great and powerful people. They're like as never been before. This is the army of the Lord coming to bring recompense for our brokenness, for our sinfulness. Likened to locust in this story as it goes on, we sort of nicely skip the worst parts of this because it goes into uh, just a sense of fire and retribution and judgment. When's the last time you heard a fiery sermon on judgment? 
that made you quake in your boots and go home and say, Lord, I gotta get right with you. I mean, usually in more Pentecostal uh, background churches, we hear that kind of sermon, and it's not my style, really, to scream at you and scare you into heaven. But I do want you to be concerned. There's judgment. There is correction for when we are out of line. And frankly, we're starting to feel that in the country that we live in. We've embraced the the very things that the Lord has told us that we must flee from. Now, that doesn't give any of you license. Please don't hear me. I'm not asking for you to join any political action group or take up any banner. I'm asking for you to get closer to the Lord. Get closer to the Lord. And in verse 12, we pick up, and we, after that break, after all of those things that are said, it's, it's, it's almost as if there's an there's a urgency. Um, there's an urgency that, that the author of Joel is, is saying, set an alarm, read the word, soak in it, be purposeful, do something about your faith. The Lord is coming, the Lord is here. If you were aware of it, do something. Because we're experiencing great darkness. It's coming. The Lord's vengeance will come to his enemies. God will not be mocked. His army is like horses and chariots all in line. It's ever consuming like locusts. Have you ever seen locusts come? Have you ever been in in a a sort of cloud storm of birds? Imagine that times a thousand. And it consumes everything in its wake. That's what the Lord is trying to give a picture of, of his great and awesome day when he comes. Yet, verse 12, yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me in your hearts, uh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments, You know, we get this reality that we have this dual personality. We have this broken, sinful nature, and yet the image of God wants to come out. And he's calling us through this season of Lent to not just be dour and broken and outwardly looking like, oh, we're such good Christians because we feel bad about our sin. He's saying, do something about it. Don't just give it lip service. Change. Show me that you can change. Well, Lord, I I don't know how to change when I don't even know what I need to change. So I'm going to give you a very practical approach. Traditionally, Lent was a time when people were corrected, directed, rebuked for their sin. There was a, a greater level of authority given to those who were in authority in a community of faith. People who were out in public, known sinners. Their brokenness was aware. It was in the newspapers. The clergy of those churches would say, you're going to be removed from the church for this season. And in that time, there are things that are going to be expected of you as you prepare to be restored. Should you be restored? It was a dark time. It was a time where we looked at themes of death and brokenness and 
uh, irreparable relationships. We looked at awful things. And in a current context, in our own culture right now, we still should be looking at some of those same things. Get perspective on who you are in the presence of God. Now that's what this story is about. Joel is saying to you, the armies of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is upon you. You should not only take notice, but your whole body should tremble. We've seen in the newspapers the, the uh, word of the various. It's not just in Kentucky anymore. The various um, revivals that are going on. And they're popping up all over the place. Where does it start? It starts with a humble group of people. In this case, it's been mostly student-led. Young men and women who are saying, I'm not right with the Lord. I want to be right with the Lord. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the opportunities that he has for me. I don't want to miss the grace that he has for me. I don't want to miss the spiritual gifts that he has for me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive my brokenness. Forgive my silliness. Forgive my stupidity. Forgive my lack of perspective. Forgive my gluttony, Lord. Because I just go to that wall switch and I flip it on because I'm entitled to light whenever I want it. Nobody says that. But because that light switch is there and because you assume that it's going to turn on when you flip it, you don't realize that that's where your heart is disposed. It's time. It's time for us to stop procrastinating, to lay aside our excuses, to wait no longer. It's time for us to set ourselves aside. So what are you supposed to do? And in Joel, the word is the bridegroom and the bride have got to come out. The day of waiting is over and they've got to put their money where their mouth is. They've got to speak those words of covenant love. What do you say in a wedding funeral? Uh, wedding funeral. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Here's a Freudian slip. Not really though. Because when you say, I'm willing to die for you with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When you speak those words at a wedding, a covenant is cut. And it's time for that covenant to be made and reestablished with God. That's what this is about. As we start Lent, it's not a game. We wear black because we are today saying we're setting ourselves aside. There's something different that we want in this season. We're asking the Lord to make us aware of the things that we need to open our eyes to. So here's the practical list. Make a list. Start by making a list. Write down those things that you want to do more of. Not as guilt, not as the Lord is punishing me, so I should do more of those things. But what do you find yourself engaging with the Lord? Go for long walks in Summit County parks. Man, we've got the greatest parks around. Go for, uh, you know, get up a half an hour early. It's really not that hard. I'm not a morning person, but get up a half an hour early and go stroll around the neighborhood and see what needs your neighbors have and ask the Lord, is it for me to help them? Think about the things you want to do more of. Make a list. 
Make a list of the character traits that need to be transformed and changed. It's amazing what you will see change in you when you start to focus on it, even if it's the negative things. I want to be a kinder person. How do I do that, Lord? Look for opportunities to practice kindness. It's that simple. But you've got to write it down. You've got to set it aside. It's got to be purposeful. It can't just be flippant. Make a list of the habits that you want to build. I want to eat better. I want to sleep better. I want to be more attentive to people when they talk to me. I want the things in my life to be held captive for Christ. What would that mean? If all the things in your life, all of your possessions, all of your family, all of your attitudes, all of your behaviors were held captive for Christ. In this season of Lent, you're going to hear us take some more time, as Father Andrew already has done, to be quiet. This isn't a quiet crowd. It's not easy for you to be quiet. We like to be praiseworthy. We like to be out there. We want to be heard. We want, if we have a word from the Lord, we're going to speak it out. We're going to come to the mic. We're going to tap on Father Dan's shoulder and make sure that it's under that authority so that we can have our day in the sunshine. It feels good to be able to contribute. But it's also good for us to dial back and ponder those words in our heart and listen to the Lord. Maybe quietly check it with somebody who's an accountability partner. If you've never had one, maybe this is the season. Maybe that's your discipline for this season. We've talked for months now about a rule of life. Maybe some of these things are the things that we need to create for ourselves to have an, a new rule, a new step in how we operate. Set an alarm. Here's a very practical thing for you to do. At 9.03 every evening, our alarm goes off on our phone. What's 9.03? It's my daughter Lily's birthday. Why would we set an alarm for 9.03? When Burke Hackenberg was having his surgery a while back, uh, it was something like May 13th. We set an alarm for 513. Because what we wanted to do was remind ourselves that in our regular routine, we'd pass right by it. We'd forget. Of course we love Bert. Of course we love my daughter Lily. But at 9.03 every night, no matter what's on the television, no matter what distraction is going on, we stop and we pray for our kids. Because in this season, we've decided our kids need more of Jesus in their lives. Are they bad kids? No, they're not bad kids. Are they believing kids who are making an impact on the world? I wouldn't say that either. But I would say that I want more for them. And that's my testimony. That's many of your testimonies. Because I believe in Jesus, he's made such a transformation in me, I want you to experience that transformation, that love, that power, that joy, those gifts. It is a gift to be in Christ because it makes me want to go, I don't need all of this stuff that I've collected around me. Set an alarm. Read the word. Soak in it. It doesn't have to be long. If you're not a, a Bible reader, pick up your Bible and read one paragraph. 
and let the Lord speak to you. I'm amazed again and again how many times I've read a paragraph and I just didn't hear that particular take on a paragraph. Or I read it in a different translation and it just jumped off the page at me. Read the word. Be purposeful. You know, I've seen a lot of bumper stickers over my time that said random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Baloney. That's the biggest load of trash I've ever heard. Random acts of kindness. They're not random. If you're going to be kind, do it with purpose. Do it with meaning. If you're going to be, uh, if you're going to show beauty, do it purposefully. Be thoughtful. Next point on your list of things to do. Don't you love that your pastor's giving you a to-do list? Turn around. I'm not saying right now, turn your seats around. That would be an awkward sermon to have the rest of this time with you facing that wall. I mean, just turn around. Think about the word repentance and do it. What do I need to repent of? How do I turn that around? Lord, when I'm around these friends, I have a bad mouth. I say things that I wouldn't normally say. I think things that I normally wouldn't think. And I'm fueling that fire by pouring gasoline on it because I've become like that old guy that was in college. And I'm not that guy anymore. Turn around. Next on our list of things to do. Make sure you take a little time to be quiet. My favorite place in the house with kids growing up was the bathroom. It, it may have been the only place I could get enough quiet to have a devotional in a day, you know. What are you doing in there? Hurry up! I'm having time with the Lord. Just let me be quiet, all right? That doesn't sound very um, honoring to the Lord. But... The reaction, the reality is we've got to get quiet. We have so many things distracting us, putting noise in our lives for our day. We have to look for God to respond to us. Write down your prayers, last thing. Set an alarm, sorry, make a list. Figure out what are the things that God wants to do. Set an alarm, read the word, be purposeful. Turn yourself around. Make sure you get some quiet so you can hear as others are speaking and as God is speaking. And listen, look for, wait for God's response. Lent is a time where we should be in the regular practice of dialing back. And in reality, it's become a chance to blow out the doors in our culture with a Mardi Gras celebration, right? And sometimes we do that in the tradition of the church. We'd have a, a clean out the larder, you know, pancake supper. And we would, and during that pancake supper, when I was growing up, we'd take a big banner that said, Alleluia, on it. I'm already breaking the rule, but I'll just use it for an illustration right now. Because beginning tonight, we will bury our Alleluias. We will not say the word. We will not sing the word. We try not to. Sometimes these, so many of our songs, they say Alleluia in it, but it's setting aside this joyful, victorious sense of self to be able to say, Lord, we've got business to do before we get to say it. And then when we get to say it again, 
on Easter Sunday. It'll mean something. It'll have value. It'll mean something different when we've fasted from it. I started off by saying uh, we have to recognize that we have a sinful identity. But let me tell you this. Some of my favorite Marvel characters have a dual identity. Think about it. Clark Kent is Superman. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. The list goes on and on and on, right? You and I have really a dual identity. Unlike our comic book heroes, our dual identity isn't secret. It's right out there for everybody to see. It's right there in Scripture from Genesis chapter 2. The first aspect of our dual identity is that we're made of dirt. You are a dirt ball. And I mean that lovingly. We are made of dirt. This is an, the accurate rendering of the original Hebrew. The word man in Hebrew is uh, Adam. It comes from Adama, which means ground. You are of the ground. So God created man of the ground. The earth is not the only place in which we work. It is a part of us. We belong to the earth, and we will be dust again, and we'll be reminded of that tonight. Yet that's not the whole story, right? God not only fashioned us from the earth, as a potter does a, a pot of clay. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed into the nostrils of mankind. He placed his image in us so that we might become alive. His ruach, his spirit. It's in the Bible to tell us that as God breathed in us, it's not just old, stale God's breath from the dinner he had the night before without brushing his teeth but it's the fullness of his wind and his spirit placed in us so that we might live. We are receptacles, holders of the divine life. And that's got to reflect more in us than it does. Human beings are essentially material in identity and also immaterial in identity. We are a combination of dust and breath. We're both natural and supernatural. So as Jesus is talking uh, in this, this season, as we look to the scriptures from today, and we hear him confronting our natural reaction to how we look holy, he reminds us that we shouldn't be in the practice showing everybody else how we are holy but we should do it just because it's right to do and quietly live it out so it has greater impact so when we give to the needy there shouldn't be any trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they might be praised by others but when we give to the needy, we shouldn't let our right hand or our left hand know what our right hand is doing. That's kind of hard to do. I don't know if you've ever made your brain do that, but I mean, the reality is it just needs to be quickly, quietly, lovingly, and without any sense of self-importance. When you pray, 
Don't do as the hypocrites do. Make a show of it. I remember being in seminary and being very offended. I was a stoic evangelical. I didn't know what all these crazy charismatics were doing with their satellite dishes up, you know, because at that song, at that verse, with those words, I could say, satellite dish up, aisle seven. It happened the same way, with the same arms, by the same people, at the same time, and I wasn't sure that it was all genuine. And I'm being judgmental because they were wondering whether or not my faith was judgmental or was judgmental, was genuine because they didn't see me responding to the power of God that was present through that song. And I'm here to say some people need to sit on their hands and some people need to put their hands in the air and some people need to lay on the floor and some people need to jump up on the chair. We, it's, there's no rule about how we worship that we've got to respond to what God is doing inside of us, but let's not make it a spectacle so that we're distracting others around us or trying to say something wonderful about ourselves by doing it. When we pray, Jesus says, we should go into the room, shut the door so that the Father can see in secret because your Father will reward you in secret and bless you for not needing an outward response. Same when, thing with when you fast, don't anoint your head. Uh, wash your face. Just let, let yourself be, uh, be normal. <laughs> it's Ash Wednesday. I've already seen on television um, uh, several actors and actresses with ash crosses on their forehead, and part of me goes, yeah. They're part of the club. And another part of me goes, I wonder how many of the others that don't have have already washed it away because they just hear these words and want it to sink deeper. That does not mean that you can't wear an ashen cross on your forehead out of this church tonight. It means that you have to have a posture in your heart that is honoring God more than you're honoring yourself. Ash Wednesday is a time for us when these words should ring true. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, listen to that with fresh ears, where your treasure is, where those things that you endlessly search on Facebook marketplace, where those things are in the catalogs that you love to get and you've wanted for years, where the desires of your heart are directed, Therefore, there your heart will be also. It's heavy. Because I know I spend a lot of time looking at treasures that have nothing to do with the value and purpose that God made me for. And the reason why in this season we spend some time focusing on this, slowing down, 
allowing a sermon to be slow and quiet like this is that I want your attention. I want God to get my attention because we have a dual nature. We get to live victoriously in Christ as supernatural beings who bear his image, but that image can't be seen by the world around us if it's tarnished by the sinful image that we bear. My prayer for you is that this will be a joyful adventure, that this quiet season of Lent will be some new discoveries that the Lord will break through with you. He is in the victory business. He wants to change our hearts and transform them so that on Easter Sunday, we might say, we have come to a place where we can with joy say, God has changed us and we rise with victory in our hearts and resurrection on our lips. My friends, you have a dual nature and there's a terrible day that's coming. I don't know when it is. Maybe some people will say that we're already in the midst of it. Some people will say it's going to come and there's a certain day and it's ended and it's a millennia and you know that, that thing that happens is going to be just the way the Bible describes it. I, I'm not sure if there's metaphor in there or absolute reality, but I do know this. The warning is there, and the Lord wants us to get us our lives in order, to be aware and awake, to do something about the habits and hurts and hang-ups of our lives so that we might live now in freedom and forever be free. Amen? Amen. Amen.